0: Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's Precious Metals News. It's Friday, January 31st. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, gold continued to trend generally upward this week. The big headline in the news was coronavirus again. The yellow metal actually pushed into the 1580s on Thursday. Here's an interesting fact for you. Bullion is actually outperforming the U.S. stock market this month. We got the first Q4 GDP number yesterday. The greatest economy in American history really isn't growing all that fast. The fourth quarter number came in at 2.1%, but it was the 2019-year number that really grabbed headlines. The economy only expanded by about 2.3% on the year. It was the weakest year of economic growth in the Trump presidency. For all of the tweets, the economy hasn't really been all of that impressive, at least if you're judging it by growth. In fact, if you look at the general trend, it looks pretty much like the last four years of the Obama presidency. There was an even more disturbing trend if you look inside the GDP numbers. Consumer spending fell to 1.8% in Q4. That was a pretty steep drop from 3.2% in the previous quarter. Now, keep in mind, consumer spending accounts for more than two-thirds of economic activity in the United States. This dovetails with the consumer debt numbers that I talked about last week. The growth in credit card debt in particular has slowed down over the last several months. I don't think it's a stretch to conclude that with over $1 trillion in credit card debt and over $4 trillion in debt when you factor in non-revolving credit like auto loans and student loans, American consumers are close to being maxed out. Their borrowing binge is slowing down, and that's reflected in consumer spending. I mean, this is common sense, right? You can only borrow and spin for so long before you start running up against that pesky credit card limit. Now here's an interesting side note, personal consumption expenditures known as PCE factor into the Federal Reserve's monetary policy, with spending slumping, expectations of an interest rate cut in March rose from 7.2% to 17.7% after the GDP announcement. I'll get a little bit more into the Fed here in just a few. Now. Pretty much everything, including economic data, has been overshadowed by the coronavirus. This is driving some safe haven buying in gold, and it was blamed for a big stock market sell-off earlier in the week. Okay, a little perspective. The latest death toll number on Thursday was 170. You know how many people die of the flu every year? 290,000 to 650,000 worldwide. I'm not saying that coronavirus isn't a big deal, I'm no biomedical expert, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and suggest that the whole thing might be a little bit overblown and the product of a lot of media hype. I mean, the press loves stories like a pandemic because, well, it gets people worked up, and governments love things like this because it gives them an excuse to exercise control over the population and the masses don't mind because, well, it makes them feel safe. Anyway, I'm not certain that coronavirus is a good reason to buy gold. I mean, there are good reasons to buy gold. But this virus isn't at the top of the list. At least, that's my never-to-be-humble opinion. I'm looking more at the Fed. The central bank held the year's first Federal Open Market Committee meeting this week. There weren't any surprising policy moves. The Fed held interest rates steady. But honestly, I was a little surprised at just how dovish Powell & Company came off. The Fed reaffirmed that there are certainly no rate hikes on the horizon, and Powell left the door open for rate cuts. Currently, he said, quote, we're comfortable with our current policy stance and we think it's appropriate. You know, comfortable isn't exactly the word that I would use. We've gotten so used to low interest rates that it really doesn't register just how extreme the current monetary policy is. We're at 1.5%. The lowest the interest rate got after the dot-com bubble burst was 1%. Now think about this for a minute. We're close to recession-era rates during an economic expansion. The Fed has to hold rates this low just to keep a lackluster economy limping along. Not to mention the fiscal stimulus that the government is adding to the mix. We got the updated CBO estimates this week, and we're on track for a $1 trillion deficit this fiscal year. That's only happened four times, all in the wake of the Great Recession. The CBO projects that the national debt will be in the $35 trillion neighborhood by the end of this decade. So we've got Fed monetary policy that looks like we're in a recession. We have government stimulus that looks like we're in a recession. What the hell is it going to look like when we're actually in a recession? But hey, Jay Powell is comfortable. So, you know, there's that. So anyway, the messaging out of the Fed is that the expectation is for rates to stay put for the rest of the year. But as I mentioned earlier, there is already a growing expectation that the central bank will cut rates before year end. And the idea was already bubbling around before we got that GDP report. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Fed statement and Powell's post-meeting comments indicated that if the Fed were to make any moves on rates in the near future, it would be a cut like I said, dovish. In fact, bets placed on future contracts tied to Fed policy reflect expectations that the Fed will hold rates steady until the fall, but at that point, they're betting on another rate cut. The Fed's statement did not announce any changes to the bond-buying program, so quantitative easing continues on into the foreseeable future, although the Fed chair continues to insist that it isn't QE. Given that the Fed has added some $200 billion to its balance sheet through this program since October, it's hard to call it anything but quantitative easing. Peter summed it up perfectly in a tweet yesterday. He said, the argument over whether the current Fed balance sheet expansion constitutes QE is pointless. QE was always just a euphemism for debt monetization. The Fed monetized debt in the past, it's monetizing more debt in the present, and it will monetize even more debt in the future. Powell did indicate that the central bank would like to scale back the program in the April to June period. From there, he said the Fed would continue to make purchases as necessary to ensure that the reserves on the bank's balance sheet remain ample. According to Reuters, quote, the Fed policymakers have been discussing how and when to end the temporary Treasury bill purchases, which have been underway since October, and what sort of permanent replacement it could use to ensure the central bank keeps control of the federal funds rate. In other words, it looks more and more like QE is going to be permanent. Once again, what was once extreme is the new normal. Super low interest rates, normal. Quantitative easing, normal. Even negative interest rates are becoming the norm in Europe and Japan. Ladies and gentlemen, this ain't normal, and we would do well not to forget that. Anyway, before we leave the subject of the Fed, I have to mention how Powell basically just blew off the pain these hyper-low interest rates are causing savers. He said that he absolutely sympathized with people whose savings have been wrecked by the central bank's low interest rate policy. But he also said, quote, many, many people benefit from the low interest rates, and we have to do what is overall best for the society and the economy. Once again, Peter summed up Powell's message on savings really well in a tweet yesterday. He said, Powell basically said that losses suffered by savers are acceptable collateral damage because its low interest rate policy is good for debtors and homeowners. The Fed's message is clear. Never a saver be. Too bad savings is the seed corn for real economic growth. Buy gold. To close out the show, I want to touch on the World Gold Council's end-of-the-year gold demand report for 2019. There were some interesting tidbits in it. Gold demand actually fell fractionally last year by about 1%. Demand for the yellow metal in the investment sector was way up. ETF holdings hit record highs. Physical demand, though, that was down, especially demand for gold jewelry. This was largely a function of high prices. Don't forget, gold hit record highs last year in every G10 currency except the U.S. dollar and Swiss franc. It also hit record highs in rupees. India is the number two consumer of gold in the world, and demand was off quite a bit over there for a number of reasons. According to the World Gold Council, demand should rebound in the East in the coming years. The thing that really caught my attention in the report, though, was gold mine output. It fell last year for the first time since 2008, dipping by 1%. Now, this is significant because other than 2008, gold mine output has increased every year since the 70s. I'll link to a report in the show notes page that gets into the numbers, but the long and short of it is that gold production declined year on year in every quarter of 2019. Although last year marked the first absolute decline in gold production since 08, it continues a general trend of falling mine output that we've seen since 2015. Basically, at that point, production plateaued. Now, this raises an interesting question. Are we at or near peak gold? Peak gold is the point where the amount of gold mined out of the earth will begin to shrink every year. Some prominent players in the mining industry think we're actually close to that point. The big problem for the gold mining industry is that the easy-to-get deposits are starting to run out. We've seen a three-decade decline in the discovery of new gold deposits, despite increases in exploration funding. And even with gold prices rising, mining companies are having a difficult time covering the higher cost of mining, the harder-to-reach, lower-quality deposits of gold that are left in the earth. Now, I'm generally not an alarmist, so I'm not going to say, yes, we're for sure at peak gold, but it's not over the top to conclude that the gold industry may well be entering a long-term and possibly irreversible period of less available gold. As mining companies find it more difficult to pull gold out of the earth, it means less gold for refiners to produce for the consumer market. So for more on supply and demand dynamics and the gold market in general, I highly recommend you talk to a SHIFT Gold Precious Metal specialist today. They can give you a lot more details, a lot more information. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160. And with that, it is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. Keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. And if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links on the show notes page for all of these things. And that's it. As always, I appreciate you listening to the show, and I'll talk to you next week.